In 2020, we did a series about contending in the faith. You can go back and, and look at that series. I believe we called it How I Contend. Maybe it was just contend. I can't even remember. I can see the graphic. I can't remember all the words. That series is on our website. If you go to EuniceChurch.com, you can click on that series. In that series, in the first week, we talked about the four horses that are described in Revelation chapter 6. So just to give you a recap of the first couple of weeks, we, we talked about the first four chapters of the book of Revelation. This is the, the age of the church, the seven churches. It was the opening and the church age. And then after chapter 4, we don't see the body of Christ. We don't see the church mentioned again. In Revelation 5, we see an image or a picture of John being in the throne room of God and the angels and the elders and the cherubim and seraphim all singing the praise of the Father. And then in Revelation 6, we see the Lamb begin to open the seals. And these become the seals of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth. And through these seals come these horsemen and horses. Again, I preached about them in 2020 because we were seeing these spirits and the productivity of these spirits come to pass beginning in February and March of 2020 and extending even still now. The first horse mentioned in Revelation chapter 6 is the white horse. It is the horse of disruption. Remember February or March of 2020 when everything in an instant was disrupted. It was a spirit of deception. It was a spirit of enforcement. And people began to look to government even over God to get us out of our troubles. We've already done at a smaller level what John said we would do at an increased capacity in the book of Revelation. There was disruption and deception. It was a rider on a white horse. It wasn't the rider on a white horse because the enemy always comes at us with a counterfeit. The enemy will never come at you with an all-out lie that you could have recognized so easily. He comes to us with a partial truth and a counterfeit connected to it because his attempt is to deceive us, not just to cause us to instantly rebel. So that is the rider on the first horse. Followed there is a, a red horse and the rider brings fear. There was a spirit of fear that hit the earth. Come on, you remember people wouldn't go outside. They wouldn't, they were wearing hazmat suits to the grocery store. Come on, they took all the toilet paper. I don't know what they were afraid of, scooping up all the toilet. Never mind, but there was a spirit. There was a spirit of fear. Now, the Bible says that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but what bothered me in 2020 is I saw as much fear in the body of Christ as I did in those who don't believe. There was a spirit of fear that hit the earth. And there was this enforcement, this idea that we shouldn't even live our lives. 
There was violence in the midst of legitimately demonic racism. And some people were fighting that some others should get over the racism. And some people were fighting that we should be able to riot and ridicule. And some people were only concerned about the byproduct of the actual issue. And across our land was fear and violence and deception and disruption, murder, bloodshed, defunding, civil disorder. And breaches even within the people and the house of God. And churches split over a presidential election. What in the Hades is happening in the house? The black horse. The horse of chaos and commerce. And our economy is still suffering. I don't know how much longer we're going to blame COVID for not coming out of this thing. But our economy is still suffering from one illness developed in a lab by the hands of men. A pale horse. This is probably the most frightening of them all. It's the horse of disease, plague, death, and destruction. All of these hit the earth in 2020 just on a smaller scale. But let me tell you as I have already warned you, that the, what happened in 2020 will be like Shetland ponies compared to the demonic stallions that hit the earth in the book of Revelation. This book is filled with imagery. It's filled with descriptions. When I mean this book, I mean this book of Revelation. By the way, it's not Revelations. It's just Revelation. It is this great unveiling of what God wants to do. And there are some descriptive, there are even some allegorical because John in the first century is trying to describe what he sees come to pass in the 21st or maybe even 31st century. And he doesn't have words from his perspective in the first century to tell us what we see happening and taking place and understanding from our perspective. Jump with me to Revelation chapter 8. And we don't just see these horses and these seals, but we see trumpets. And I have a graph, and all that stuff can be found in our resource that you can go to and study out more for yourself. But we see seven trumpets. I'm going to go through them quickly. This first trumpet is a trumpet of hell, Fire and burning of the earth, a third of the earth, uh, a third of the trees, a, a third of the grass, a third of the farms, a third of the rice. Holy Jesus, help us, Lord. What are we going to eat? A third of the crops, a third of the wheat, a third of the barley, a third of everything that the people on the earth need to survive is going to be uh, consumed by the first trumpet. The second trumpet is the burning mountain in the sea that turns a third of the earth's water source into blood. A third of the ocean, a third of the rivers. I'm sorry, let me speak your language. A third of the bayous. Come on, somebody. A third of the lakes, a third of the ponds. Every source being fed by water. A third of the sea life. A third of the lake life. A third of the ships. 
What we saw happen through hurricanes and storms to harbors will happen at a magnified level in the book of Revelation. The third trumpet that is being blown is that of the star of wormwood and the water that is left over will be made bitter and unconsumable and many will die through the destruction of this star reference. It could be a demonic spirit. It could be the actual explosion of a star. It could be rain from space coming down, acidically poisoning the water sources of the earth. We don't really know and I don't really care. I don't plan on being here. The fourth trumpet is the sun being smitten. It is interesting to me that scientists are trying to blame global warming for something that God said was going to happen. Well, I'm not here to argue global warming, whether it is or whether it isn't, whether there really are more storms or whether we're just reporting more storms. I can tell you that the S-U-N was never meant to sustain the earth where the S-O-N was created and the only way that we can ever truly be sustained. And the Bible Bible says in this fourth trumpet that the moons and the stars were not the only planet with moons were not the only moon the moon and the stars and the light will be shrunken down and the earth will be made darkened we can see that happen when Jesus was on the cross if he's done it before he will do it again. The fifth trumpet is the first woe. This is the woe, the plague of locusts. And we hear this phrase again, locusts the size of horses. What in the world is that? We don't know exactly. Could be some kind of military strike. Could be a mechanical enemy. It could be a whole lot of things. Don't get stuck on the details learn and apply to your lives what God wants us to walk in while we're still here. The sixth trumpet, the second woe, is that plague of horsemen. Jump with me to Revelation chapter 9, verse 15. The Bible says, Four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. If that were to happen right now, it would kill in an instant 2.5 billion people. 2.5 billion people. It is interesting to note that modern day sociologists connected to the kingdom of God claim that there are about 2.2 billion people still left on the earth that have not been ministered to and have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2.5 approximately will be slaughtered in an instant in the book of Revelation and around 2.2 are still yet to hear the good news of the gospel because we're fighting over political parties and policies and we're scrapping and grinding throughout our daily lives to see how many vehicles I can't get no help today I'm just saying that the church is not available because the church is distracted the laborers are not few they're just busy doing too many things that only minister to themselves a third of the earth will be consumed I believe Zechariah 14 tells us how and we saw an example in Hiroshima and Nagasaki everything that's going to happen has already happened on a smaller scale Verse 18, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. 
Some scholars refer to the pictures of a nuclear bomb that has already been dropped, which is why it is insanity to arm terrorists with nuclear capacity who have promised to get rid of Israel because they hate those people. And the only people that they hate even more than Israel are Americans. Verse 21, even after all of that, as many of you will sit here today and walk out of here and continue down the same path that you've already been walking. I know this is a little heavy, but it's biblical and I can't leave passages out just because I don't like the way that feels. Verse 21 says, unfortunately, they did not repent. After all of that, the horses, the seals, the trumpets, they did not repent of their murders of their witchcraft. And the Bible says in the book of Samuel that disobedience is likened unto the sin of witchcraft. So before we judge all, all the people on, 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 in the French Quarter and Bourbon Street for their voodoo, before we judge everybody for their practices of witchcraft, we should be looking at the areas of our own lives where we're operating as a witch of disobedience because we are not fulfilling God's will and accomplishing what he told us to accomplish. The seventh trumpet. This is the trumpet that's coming. And it's the trumpet that's already come. It's the casting out of the dragon into the pit. And this is where the book of Revelation gets a little bit confusing. So hang in here with me for just a second. Remember, I'd already read this a couple of weeks ago. That John was told to write down the things that he has seen the things that are and the things that are to come. Do you remember that passage? I read that. It's in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. So that's what John is doing. John is called up in this vision on the Isle of Patmos where he was exiled but never alone. Come on, the earth may exile you, but the spirit will never leave you alone. That's good news if you're lonely right now. And he is in the spirit on the Lord's day and he's instructed to write down the things which have been the things that he currently sees and the things that are coming. And John begins to write down all that the Lord is showing him. So this book is not a chronological order of everything that he is seeing. He is writing some things down and then he sees this. See, the book of Revelation would be better understood in tears. What's happening on in the heavens, what's happening on the earth, and what's happening underneath the earth. Then it would be understood chronologically just on one linear line. And so John is describing all of these things. He's showing us what has been and what is and how what has been is affecting what is and how what is is affecting what's going to be. And he's not separating them. He's combining them because he's having a kingdom vision, not a chronological vision. Jump with me, if you will, to chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. This is a flashback and a current prophetic promise. In other words, say it this way, this is past imagery being revealed prophetically because John is writing to the first century church that would understand this and the 21st century church that with the help of the Holy Spirit would have the ability to interpret this. Verse 5 of Revelation chapter 12 says, she gave birth to a son. Now, if I were to ask you who gave birth to a son, we would all go, oh, Mary. 
Okay, hang on a minute. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Please remember that phrase because it's going to be spoken about again. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. Okay, so I tend to follow the camp. Now, there's a lot of interpretations about a lot of details in this book. I like to listen. I like to learn. I don't like to get hung up on fringe things that don't matter. I like to listen. I like to learn. I don't like to get hung up on fringe things that don't matter. My mentor told me, Chris, keep the main thing the main thing and keep moving forward in what God has called you to accomplish. That's that's my intent. So I want to learn from this book, but I don't want to get stuck in it. The Bible says she gave birth to a son. We know that Mary gave birth to a son, but we also know that the Messiah came from not just a woman, but a nation. The nation of Israel gave birth to the Messiah, gave birth to the Son of God. The Son of God was snatched away from the dragon and called up to be with God. And when the 500 standing on the shore that Jesus had revealed himself to in 40 days, I know I'm teaching fast, that's why we record it. When Jesus ascended into the air, the angel came down at all the people gawking at the clouds and said, why are you still standing here? The same way you see him go, you shall see him return essentially saying, you better get to work before he gets back. Come on, somebody. Keep reading in verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness. This is a very similar passage to Luke chapter 21 that I referred to just last week when I said that Jesus told us the true sign of the end of times was when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies flee to the hills or flee to the outside of the city. So the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness. This is not odd. We're referred to as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We're coming back as the bride of Christ. We are referred to in the parables as the bride, the maidens of the bridegroom who is coming for us. This is not unlike, this is not unlike the former imagery that we already understand. But that woman, Israel, and or anybody that got left behind, that's my personal opinion, is told to go into into the wilderness where God is going to prepare a place to provide and take care for her for 1260 days. 1260 days is very close to the equivalent of the first three and a half years of the seven years of judgment or the seven years of the great tribulation. It's why I personally believe in an imminent return of Jesus because we don't know the day nor the hour. I won't go into that because I preached my face off last week and you can go watch that message if you missed it. There seems to be a 2,000 year gap between verses five and verse six. It seems that we stand between Jesus's ascension into the kingdom and Israel's protection for 1260 days or three and a half years of peace promised by the Antichrist who leads Israel into signing a peace agreement but will break it in the middle of the book. Verse 8. 
I'm sorry, verse 7. Then there was a war in heaven. This is why I've entitled this the war of the gods. <clears throat> Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. Verse 9. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, the one that deceived the man and the woman in the garden, the serpent called the devil, Lucifer or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. He started in the garden. He continues today. He releases his fury when the church gets out of the way. The, the devil was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Now, did that happen before we were created or after we were created? Did it happen in Genesis? Did it happen again? Is it going to happen in Revelation? Stop it. It happened. It's happening. It's going to happen. Stop getting stuck in the human mind and open yourself up to whatever God wants to do whenever God wants to do it and just follow and obey as long as he leaves you here. What we know is that Lucifer and a third of heaven, I hope that it's okay. This is why we have children's ministry, but I got to say it anyway. Lucifer and a third of heaven got their butts kicked, are getting their butts kicked, and are going to get. Come on, somebody. I'm just saying it today because we need to know that the battle belongs to the Lord and the victory was won, is won, and is going to be won. But right now, since Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning, Lucifer and a third of heaven have been thrown down to the earth. And they don't like that God created man in his image and likeness and fashioned, hallelujah, woman from the rib of man and told them in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28 that you, not he, would rule and have dominion on the earth. Why did God put us here? He put us here to prove to the enemy that I didn't need you, I don't need you, and I never will. And from that day on, from the day that the serpent deceived the woman and the man who stood there idly, because idly standing by as seen is seen as acceptance, and acceptance is seen as approval. Lucifer and a third of heaven referred to throughout the Old Testament as little G-O-D gods, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's why God called Abraham out of the land of the Canaans because the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Amalekites and all of those that were there at the Tower of Babel were worshiping the other little G gods instead of the one true God. And Lucifer is referred, are y'all with me? Because I'm teaching a lot today, and it's, and it's happening quickly. <laughs> Lucifer and a third of heaven have been trying to possess the earth and the people on the earth ever since that day. It's why darkness is never satisfied. It's why sin is never settled. 
because these gods are not content to just exist. They want to be accepted. They want to be approved. They want to possess. And they want to be worshipped. And they're not going to stop. The only reason that they haven't already done it is because the gates of hell cannot prevail as long as the ecclesia is still engaged. The gates of hell cannot prevail as long as the ecclesia is still engaged. So we need to get engaged or the gates of hell will begin to prevail. And we're seeing the gates of hell begin to prevail because not there's not a lot of us, but we're lazy and we're distracted by the same gods that distracted the Canaanites. By the same gods that distracted Adam and the woman. By the same gods that distracted the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Europeans, and now the Americans. Now recently a book was written by a Messianic Jew, which sometimes these guys are a little crazy. Um, and this guy's a little off the deep end. I like some of his stuff. I don't like all of his stuff. I don't, I'm not saying you should go read everything that he has and believe every word. No, I'm just saying he wrote a new book that is extremely interesting. His name is Jonathan Kahn. He preached on the Washington Mall, one of the most phenomenal messages I've listened to preached in the area of Washington, D.C. He did this just a couple of years ago, and he just published a book called Return of the Gods. Here's the essence of that book. Jesus tells a parable in his Gospels that a man, a nation, a person, a body, a temple is delivered from a demonic spirit. And the Gospel did that in the first century. Delivered people of demonic spirits. Everywhere that the apostles and the apostles, come on somebody, went, they delivered people from demonic powers. It was not something that happened occasionally and freaked out a bunch of too comfortable church people. It's something that was expected by those who believed and were baptized in the name of Jesus. It was just part of who they were. They cast out, the, I'm preaching too much, but they cast out demons. They spoke in new tongues. No weapon formed against them prospered. And everything that they put their hand to, they laid hands on the sick and they didn't beg God to heal. The sick just received Jehovah Rapha in the instant and they were healed. It was just a byproduct of being a believer. And these demons were cast out. But what happened in the parable was the man cleaned everything up, got everything in order. The nation cleaned everything up and got everything in order. But the demon went on a recruiting trip. And that demon got six more demons and came back to the land and, the, and came back to the person, came back to the place, came back to the temple. And the Bible says that the latter state of that individual was even worse than the former. Hello, America. So we have these gods and these goddesses that are really just demonic spirits that have been cast down to the earth that are not satisfied with just being a part of this planet. But their desire is to possess and be worshipped. 
Let's look at Ra, the sun god, the god that was made popular by the Egyptians in the days of Israel's slavery. Ra was worshipped because they believed that he determined the weather. And if they were nice to Ra, then Ra and the weather would be nice to them. Today, we might not worship Ra, but really, we determine whether we're going to serve God as to whether the atmosphere is conducive for us to serve. If the weather's nice, come on somebody, the church is full on Sunday. If the weather's nice, everybody shows up for serve day. If my finances accommodate my ability to tithe and to give, then I'm going to tithe and I'm going to give and I'm going to serve. If my schedule facilitates my ability to actually go and make disciples through the great commission that I treat as a recommendation, if my schedule is in line with what God wants me to do, then it determines whether I am willing to do what I know I'm supposed to be doing, but instead of actually going out and accomplishing it, we would rather pay other people, put them on staff at a church and expect them, I can't get no help today, expect them to do all the work and them to do all the ministry, and if they don't do what we expected them to do then we're going to go find somebody else that will do it for us now we might not say we worship Ra but the spirit is alive on the earth Baal Baal is known by many as the god of fertility he's known as the god of possession and materialism he is the one that they took their gold and made a calf to that they could worship he's the reason that moses lost his junk come on somebody moses broke every commandment that god had given in one instance when he threw those stones and destroyed them now i'm not justifying temper tantrums because god made him inscribe everything that he had formerly given him because he wanted moses to remember that i gave you self-control just as much as I gave you authority come on but Baal is evident in our billboards and in our commercials in our living rooms on Wall Street as a bull Baal is evident in the time the talent and the treasure that we invest to accomplish the American dream Baal is evident in where we're willing to invest our time our energy and our effort for more vehicles newer and nicer homes more things that we can have to find our security and our stability in Baal is evident on our television screens through our phones and through the fact that we in our sinful nature can never be satisfied no matter how much stuff we acquire and we say we're not worshiping Baal but our treasure and our energy and our efforts say otherwise Asherah we may not have Asherah poles over our beds as they did in the Old Testament. But the spirit of Asherah, believed to be the goddess wife of Baal, the spirit of Asherah, which is believed to be the sexualization goddess that didn't leave the earth whenever the Old Testament 
Asherah poles were torn down by some of the kings of Israel. In fact, if you read through the book of First and Second Kings, the obedience or disobedience of the kings of Israel was determined by whether they did or did not tear down the high places. That is the Asherah poles of worship that they integrated into their society because they would rather be like the world than they would crucify their own flesh. And Asherah is alive and well today, and we have poles mounted all across our nation because we legalize solicitation and we continue to succumb to it. We might not succumb to it physically, but the, the statistics are approximately 80 to 90% of even those who say they believe in Jesus are actually consumed by this sexualization. Asherah is the one that confounds the identity of individuals and causes them to place their security in their sexuality. Does this sound familiar? Asherah came back to life in the days of Greece and Rome. Asherah was referred to in Greece and Rome as Diana and Athena. And everywhere Paul went, he had to address the spirit of this goddess that tried to pervert the spirit of the men and women in that place. The way that they worshipped Athena, Diana, Asherah was that they would gather together with the priestess and or the priest and they would have immoral activity that they felt like honored this goddess and today we stream these same images into our homes through commercials we stream these images through movies we call it entertainment but it has always been and it will always been be ungodly immorality known as idolatry. It's the goddess of Astra. And the horses came to remove everything that people put their faith in that is not God. The horses of Revelation start with disruption and deception and ultimately reveal the death and destruction that people were already following. But there's one more of this, what Jonathan Kahn refers to as the trinity of the Godhead, the little g gods. And it's this God referred to as Molech. Molech is described as an idol that would be built and placed into the fire. And some images show that Molech would open his chest and there's actually videos of people worshiping Molech by throwing children onto the plate that was his chest and closing them into the fire and the child would roll down into the fire. There are other images of his hands being over the fire and they would place the child into the hands of Molech. They would sacrifice their child in order to achieve earthly success. Today, now listen, I stand in the gap, and this is not something that I share often. I stand in the gap as someone, you don't, many of you don't know this, but I have a 20-year-old. He's just not here because I paid for him to be consumed at the hands of Molech. Because for my own success at an early age, 
I was willing to sacrifice a child. It means that God's grace is so good that if you'll just repent, God will surround you with a whole lot of people that only get to know the redeemed version of who you are. They would place children in the hands of Molech and the fire would consume Molech. Molech, according to scholastic history, desired two things. The sacrifice of children and the mutilation of men and women. There are ancient accounts of men mutilating themselves and their anatomy if you will, for lack of better words, because I see young ears that I don't want to really explain this to, reproductive organs. And they would sever them, and they would ride after they healed, they would ride through the streets with their own reproductive organs, and they would throw them into the dwelling places of people who would worship Molech with them. And if a young man and or an elder mutilated themselves, they were perceived as heroes in that society. When that person threw that into their home, that home, specifically historical accounts say that that home was to provide female clothing for that man. And that man was highly esteemed in that culture. Hashtag Bruce Jenner same gods see our battle is not against flesh and blood our battle is not against white people black people I know I'm going with color but let me use ethnicity Asian Caucasian our battle is not against nations India Iran China and Russia our battle is not against religions of Islam or Buddha Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. Our battle is not between denominations, come on church, of Catholic or Protestant, Baptist or Pentecostal, Assembly of God, Church of God, Church of God in Christ. Our battle is against powers and principalities of darkness. And when the church awakens and engages in the actual battle, the Bible says, resist the enemy as you submit to God. And when you resist the little G gods by submission to the one true God. Those devils can't stay wherever you submit and wherever you resist. See, at some point as I fast forward, at some point people begin to repent even in the great tribulation because they refuse around Revelation chapter 13. They refuse to take the mark of the beast. Because the first act of the beast is to set up an image of himself. Was it the first beast or the second beast? Was it the false prophet or the antichrist? Yes. Who are they? Who cares? I'm not going to be here. But this man of sin or woman dressed as a man or woman mutilated as a man or man mutilated as a woman. Who knows? All we know is that it is a spirit of Antichrist that already exists, and that spirit is synonymous with any spirit and or person that does not confess Jesus as the Son of God. 
See, we got to wake up and realize who we're actually at war against. And in the middle of this book, we begin to see people repent and not take the mark. Why? Come on, hold in. I'm getting ready to close. I promise you, I'm expending more. I sat down after first service, and I sat down beside my wife, and she said, Oh, you're sweating, and I look like a chicken. I'm freezing. I got goosebumps all over me. I'm giving you all I got right here because I don't want you to walk out the same way that you walked in. In the book of Revelation, God sends, in the middle of all this mess, God sends three angels to minister to those on the earth that aren't going to receive the mark. It's not going to be a vaccination. It's not going to be a chip that's inserted. It's not going to be something that sneaks its way in. It's going to be evident to everybody of what John wrote about 2,000 years ago because the Bible says that it is the will of God that none should perish but all would come to repentance. So God seals up 144 4,000 people here on the earth to go out with the urgency of the evangelical church and minister even in that moment and as if that weren't enough he sends two witnesses to come down that everybody on earth kills and the Bible says that they watch them lay dead in the streets for three days and 30 years ago there was no way that the whole world could watch two people laying dead in the streets on the other side of the earth but today because the prophecies are coming to pass because revelation is stirring in the hearts of the elders and the angels today those two witnesses will rise from the dead and just as your whole world has seen you rise from the dead that whole world will see them rise from the dead because God's greatest desire is simply to have relationship with you what is this war all about This is my final closing. What is this war of these gods? How how did we go from the Dick Van Dyke show where they wouldn't sleep in the same bed because they weren't married? How did we go from founding a land as people of God referred to as Puritans, to shipping souls over like cattle to do the work for us. Demons, spirits, gods. Because demons are not satisfied with simply existing. This war is over the possession of the earth and the people that are on it. It's how we went from only aborting a baby if it affected the health of a mother to determining whether we wanted to keep a child within a month of its birth. It's how we went from being willing to look inappropriately at one another as objects of lust instead of brothers and sisters in Christ to today determining whether we felt like we wanted to be a male or a female. So much to the fact that we're willing to again, in the name of Molech, mutilate even our own children. 
How did we go? What is this war about? Because these gods, these demons are not satisfied with simply existing. They want to possess. And in the book of Exodus, we hear a song. It's the song of Miriam. You can go look it up. It's in Exodus chapter 15. They sing this song. It says, who is like our God? It's a beautiful song. And who could make war with him? But if you fast forward in the book of Revelation, you see a very similar song being sung, yet you see the name being changed. And the beast that erected an image of himself that only allows you the ability to buy and sell if you receive his mark. Has the whole earth sing this song? Who is like the beast? And who could make war with him? See, this whole thing is about who is worshiping who. So what are you worshiping? If you look at your life, if I look at mine, where am I invested? That's what this war is all about. And they ask this question, who is like the beast and who can make war with him? But the Bible says in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, that they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is the Lord of lords, and He is the King of kings. And those who are with Him, come on somebody, are called, and they are chosen because they were faithful. So I'm not afraid of the book of Revelation because I'm prepared for the book of Revelation. I'm inspired by the book of Revelation. I'm empowered by the resurrected King Jesus because I believe that my King is sitting on His throne listening to the songs of men and women right now. And whenever they begin to say, who is like the beast and who can make war with him? I believe my king is going to look over at his angel and say, Gabriel, get my sword. It's time to go get my bride. And it's time to let the whole earth know what the church has already been walking in. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 that the apostle lets us know about God's anointing. He says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and this one sitting on it was not a counterfeit he was the one that is called faithful and true in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems he has a name written that nobody at the time understands but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God himself. Verse 14 says the armies of heaven are arrayed in fine linen. Come on, men linen. That's us, friend. They are white and they are pure. They were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a double-edged sword which will strike down the nations. He will rule with the rod of iron already prophesied in Revelation chapter 12. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh is written king of kings and lord of lords and he is worthy of our worship come on he is worthy of our praise if you can't magnify his name while you're still on the earth then how will you ever magnify his name whenever he comes back to get you again i think it's time that somebody open up
created because you were created in the image and for the glory 
of God Almighty. So I exhort you today. Listen, if you're a guest with us this morning, we don't do this every week. It's okay. Come back next week. We're not trying to force you into something that you're not ready for. We're trying to exhort you into something that you need to get ready for. So don't just be loud in here. Go and be authentic out there.